Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. This week's... Whoa, don't do that. Okay. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Rebecca Fuller of Klamath Falls, Oregon. Rebecca will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Lee Bardugo, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law & Order, Law & Order, Law & Order. It's no ordinary Welcome to the 100th episode <gasps> of These Are Their Stories, what? the podcast about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Law & Order, Season 13, Episode 5, the ring. The perimeter wasn't established on 9-11 until 5 p.m. Before that, anyone could have gotten close enough to dump the evidence. So we're basing all of this on a ring. It's a hell of a ring. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcasts, Rebecca Lavoy. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. How are you today? I am. Uh, I've done 99 more of these episodes than I thought I would. I had no idea. This is the 100th episode. It is. A huge surprise to me. It is. I can't believe it. You thought you'd get it off, but no. <laughs> we had to push forward because we have a really special guest. It's the author of the Grishaverse novels and the upcoming Netflix adaptation, <gasps> Shadow and Bone. It's author and Law & Order fanatic, Lee Bardugo. Hi, Lee. Hello. I can't believe I'm on the 100th episode. Yeah. This is, I feel I should have dressed better for this event. <laughs> <laughs> Tucks and tails. We definitely think of you as wearing, uh, you have your uh, evening handbag and not your day handbag. That's right. That's right. I like to think of myself in full caftan mode all the time, but I, I do <laughs> I do always carry a tiny velvet black bag with me for all my butterfly barrettes. You are an incredibly successful young adult fantasy author. Why the hell are you on this stupid podcast? Ooh, good question. Well, for one thing, I am. I, I will tell you, I also write uh, for adults. It's very dangerous to say you write adult novels because that has a different connotation. But I write. Right. Uh, I, I do write uh, novels for adults, and uh, also I love Law and Order. And I don't remember how I found you guys, but I have been listening to you for um, years now, and I have even listened to many of your podcasts twice. They are uh, one of my great joys. So. Wow. 
Wow. Thank you so much. I I have a slightly embarrassing confession, which is that I uh, misheard the lyrics to your theme song for a long time. Ah, And you know how the lyrics say, it's the affinity of police Police procedurals, procedurals. baby? I did not realize it was F-N-O-G. It's the F-N-O-G of police procedurals, baby. I, for a very long time thought it was affinity and in my head i had created this greek word that was much like apogee <laughs> and i just it was just a question of time before i looked it up online. i just say yeah uh uh taylor quimby who is the musical force behind uncanny valleys on the first draft it was it's the fucking og right. police procedurals and i was thinking I can't start with an f bomb in the first thirty seconds of the I don't podcast. Know. Yeah, it would have yeah. it would have let the other podcasters know how hard you are. So I that's think right. You may have missed an opportunity. We're going ham. That's right. Wouldn't it have been just... so awesome if if Lee just like used the word affinity in her one of her books? Like she thought it was a real word. <laughs> Someone's got to make up those. Stupid and then words, like her right? editor would be like, uh, the I name. like the idea that everybody from there on would be like, well, I don't want to look stupid, so <laughs> <laughs> I too have studied the Greek language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite law and order detective team. Um, I, I literally was waiting for the sound cue. Um, <laughs> I think Jesse L. Martin and um and and Lenny Briscoe. I'm poor not gonna give him his proper name. I think yeah, Briscoe and Green are probably my favorite, so this was a good episode for me. But I will also admit that I came into the show with Noth and uh, and why can't I not remember Lenny Briscoe's real name? Oh, Jerry Orbach. Jerry Orbach. Thank you. Rest in peace. <laughs> um, I came into the show with Jerry Orbach and Chris Noth, and so I have a special place in my heart for them. Mm. And who is your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. Uh, Jack McCoy and, um, and now I'm going to do it again, Angie Harmon. Nice. Uh, Abby Carmichael. Abby That's Carmichael. my favorite prosecutorial team, too. Abby, I love them together. Abby Carmichael has been trending up. She has. The past six months, She's right? got a glow up going on. I've yeah. thought about this a lot, having listened to your show a lot. And I think that, I think because her politics, at least on the show, are designed to skew just conservative enough to be safe, there's a... Mm-hmm. That tension really works for me between the two of them. Like you believe, and I love, you know, I love that she always goes toe to toe with the perps. And I loved the one where like one of the perps was like, I didn't do the thing that you said I did. And I was attacked in prison. And she had to like come face to face with her, her law and order ways. She is great. And I think that her politics are better written than say... Arthur Branch's politics. Yeah, think? <laughs> well, they're not constantly making her say things like, well, he'll be happier than a hedgehog and a barrel full of spit. So <laughs> that's already an edge they've given her. All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode Law and Order, season 13, episode 5, The Ring. Well, a couple of preteens pull the old beg the shopkeeper to sell you cigarettes while your buddy steals 99 cents worth of Hostess Snowball's trick. Mm. The shopkeeper, more likely to die of a heart attack than actually catch them, chase the boys (laughs) into a vacant lot where they discover some skeletal remains. The autopsy shows the female victim died from a blow to the head and her left hand was severed. Well, was it amputated? Not by anyone with a license. The ulna was shattered. Well, there's another one for the homicide theory. Did you happen to find any jewelry at the scene? No, but there's some lovely furniture if you're looking for a bedroom set. 
There's discoloration here on the bone, which means a ring was probably there after she lost all the weight. Briscoe and Green find Little Butch and Sundance, <laughs> who pocketed the limited edition ring valued at $40,000. So who is missing a ring, and perhaps a loved one? Well, it's not Rich Bradley Hagen of the politically powerful Hagens. His wife still has her ring, and he had a dessert called Killer Chocolate Cake. It seems that the ring belonged to Kelly Summers, who died on 9-11 in the World Trade Center. But then why is her body in Hell's Kitchen? At Ground Zero, officials recovered her bag and her left hand, but none of the survivors remember seeing Kelly at work on 9-11. Her fiancé, Donald Hausman, says he didn't buy her that ring, and he didn't go with her on that fancy dinner on the evening of September 10th. The detectives can't learn who was at the restaurant with her, but they do serve a dessert called killer chocolate cake. I'm in every other restaurant. (laughs) A scan of Kelly's emails shows that she was having an affair with Bradley Hagen, and it looks like they were meeting so Kelly could give an ultimatum. Leave your wife or I'm telling her. Did the son of a powerful politician kill his lover on September 10th, cut off her hand, leave it at ground zero, then bury the body somewhere else to save his marriage? The DA says... Meh, could be. (laughs) He doesn't look like a killer to me. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the first clues is that the ring on the skeleton is unique, so they head to a store. And there the jeweler is helpful enough. With a price tag like that, I'll bet you keep a record of the buyers. Computers. Don't you love them? Okay, how about printing out a list of everybody that bought one of these? Anything to help the men in blue. There is no jeweler-client confidentiality, is there? today, please. Uh, then he wants to know if there's a jeweler-customer confidentiality. According to every other episode of SVU and Law and Order, there is, but not in Harry Winston, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> hey, if you're buying it for your guma, there better be a, a confidentiality agreement, right? But he didn't buy it for her. She bought it for her, which is one of the weirdest things in this show. Yes. That you would right. be like, and he paid the credit card bill, so... He eh. gave her cash deposits. Like, right. That's weird. That's the least romantic way of gift giving you could ever have. It's like right. being married. It's like, here's a picture of the thing I want to buy you. Right. Except I can't buy it because my wife will see my credit card bills because my secretary apparently knows her whole schedule and my whole schedule and shows each other our bills. And then, but I want you to have it. So instead, I'm just going to make four weekly deposits so that in four weeks, yeah. you can go buy this ring that I'm handing you a picture of right now. Yeah. Hot. That secretary knows about that shit, too. That's <laughs> what every girl dreams of. <laughs> Baby, let me buy, let you buy you a ring from me. Beautiful. Exactly. On the layaway plan. But yeah. if she wasn't super into him, why would she take that gift? That also confused me. Mm, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. do you really have a sense for who the victim is, actually, at any time? <laughs> like, I feel like we get some pretty contrary views of who she's supposed to be. Yep. And yeah, I mean, they are suspicious about whether the victim is Kelly Summers, right, in the mm-hmm. beginning. So Van Buren says, First thing I want to know, was it really Kelly Summers at the bottom of that blast? Yeah, biggest mass casualty site on U.S. soil. That's going to take about 10 minutes. That's right. Oh, absolutely. Is that really her? <laughs> no. Right to the database. Yeah. Right to the database. I love I love TV databases. Me too. And, and the people who administer them. VIP gives us. VIP? Victim identification profile. Born August 12th, 1978. Blonde hair, green eyes. They're always like, 
they, they always look like on Law and Order, like they weren't doing anything else before these cops came in and disrupted their whole day. Yeah, Lee, they're like, I knew setting up this database was going to be trouble. <laughs> <laughs> or they're like waiting, just waiting. They're like, only someone would call. Finally, they were right. I knew there was a reason we were doing this. <laughs> well, they get to uh, fiance Donald, who's supposed to be this computer genius. And he wants to play Kelly's last voicemail, which he keeps on his desktop. So he hits a couple of buttons and it plays. Have to work late tonight, Boo Boo. We'll talk tomorrow. Love you. Bye. Just call me Boo Boo. Stupid, huh? But the screensaver never switches I, off. That's right. I have this note. I'm like, what is this app that he's using? Like, what is this? <laughs> and they just couldn't be bothered to be like, oh, the screen. Or even having the screen be on. Like, hmm. Very strange. Well, it's like a goldfish screensaver, and like I'm just waiting for it to change over to the flying toasters. <laughs> <laughs> I I do need to point out, though, also when they find the skeleton, it's very Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, yes, yeah, that skeleton is not like, oh, this has been here a year. It's like a perfectly presented skull. It's it. I really felt like a dead men tell no tales moment. It did. But I loved when they went to go find out about the bones and um. They, the our cops became like children full of wonder and we're like this reminds me of science class this reminds me of science class reminds me of home home i grew up in a meatpacking district i grew up in the meatpacking district where apparently lenny was surrounded by human carcasses all of the time like <laughs> 10 years on this show, he's suddenly nostalgic for all the bones. <laughs> Very weird, but also delightful. Hey, let's talk about our cast. We do see somebody before they were famous. Before they were famous. Who is playing Donald Houseman, Kelly's fiance? Anybody know? I should have gone to her place when she was done with work. We could have had a glass of wine. I would have spent the night. Nope. No. No. You may remember him in front of the camera as the reporter who made up stuff in The Wire. Oh. But he is now known as Academy Award winner Tom McCarthy. Here we, He's still a, a work-a-day actor. You but, mean the director? Yeah. He became a very successful screenwriter and director. He what? wrote Win Win, The Station Agent, and he won an Oscar for writing Spotlight. Yeah. No uh, which he also shit. was nominated as, as Best Director. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. That's him. That's the greatest story I've ever heard in a, hey, it's that guy. Or I guess before That's they were bad. famous, but he, I, who knew? Uh, he was also nominated for an Oscar as one of the screenwriters of Pixar's Up. Hmm. So you can blame him for why you were crying like a little bitch in the first 10 minutes of a cartoon <laughs> watching a man grow older and his wife dying. Do you Thanks. want me to cry now? Is that why you're describing it? Because I will. <laughs> Think back. <laughs> I've never seen it. You know why? Because of that scene. Because everyone, all, that's all they talk about. And I'm like, that is the equivalent of telling somebody like, mm, smell this. Like, no. <laughs> it's very good. Why would I want to put myself through something that everyone describes as so, so sad? I can't do it. <laughs> because then the pain gives way to joy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to childish wonder, like going back to science class. <laughs> So here's our Hey, It's That Guy. Hey, it's that guy. Can you tell me who the actor playing defense attorney Kevin Hobart 
is. They logged on and swiped my client's personal letters without his knowledge and more importantly, without a search warrant. He had an expectation of privacy. Nope. I knew I recognized him, but yeah. definitely more of a hey, it's that guy than anything else. That actor's name is Patrick Breen, four Law & Order appearances. Mm. He played... Quilak, the alien on Galaxy Quest. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was the one who was shot by the bad guys yeah. and dies in Alan Rickman's arms. Mm. By Grabthar's hammer, oh. you shall be avenged. Yes, yes. Uh, very recognizable, the actors who played those heavily make-upped alien roles in that film. <laughs> I feel like he's well-suited to this. I had him written down as gawky villain lawyer, so I think... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that, that famous line from the movie, Gra- Grab Thar's Hammer by the Sons of War Van. Look, you write fantasy, Lee. Do you have to come up you have to come up with these exotic names? I do. Do you just say, ah fuck it, call him the Volcra, I'll change it later? No. <laughs> I mean, the danger in doing that is then you get used to the name or the thing, and then it is mm. actually quite hard to um to excavate it from your brain. But um, names have changed over the course of books. But what I usually do is in my early drafts, I just put three little question marks and try to keep mm-hmm. writing. I mean, as as writers and artists, you know that one of the greatest perils is losing momentum. And when you're a fantasy author, what you don't want to do is take a break and be like, oh, I'll go look up, I'll go to Nameberry for 20 minutes. And, <laughs> or I'll go and search the names of small Russian towns. Like, that can mm. wait for later drafts. And they do. Right. Yeah. Find yeah. and replace. Replace three question marks with blank. Yeah. And, yeah. and also, like, I actively try to avoid fantasy naming conventions like, you know, 32 letters and two apostrophes and, and that kind of thing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's not really my thing. But then my most recent book was set at Yale. So I had to abide by their terrible naming convention. So, you know, a waspy. Terrible world building at Yale University. River, Chester. That's right. Everyone played lacrosse. Uh, yes. <laughs> so the guy running the 9 11 victims database, who is that? They uncovered a hand. A left hand? That's right. Just one of 20,000 other pieces of human remains. And a few feet away from the hand, a pocketbook filled with all kinds of ID. I don't know. That's John Lloyd Young. He played Frankie Valli in both the stage and movie versions of Jersey Boys. Really? Yeah. Good for him. He is the only American actor to date to have received a lead actor for Best Musical Tony Award, Drama Desk, Outer Critics Circle, and Theater World Award for a Broadway debut. Nice. So he's yet another theater person relegated to being known for being a computer guy on a Law & Order show. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Got to pay those bills somehow, Lee. Yeah. I mean, I, if I, were I to ever attempt to live in New York again, I would, I would certainly, this would be my goal. He was a member of the President's Committee on the Arts and Humanities. He and the other 16 members of the committee resigned in protest after Charlottesville in 2017. You know why? I, everybody knows why. Because they... The committee members were very fine people. But now, what's happening to the arts? Who's exactly. stewarding <laughs> them? We need to get a committee back in, yes. say, four months. Hmm. Let's get hoping. a task force to form a committee. It'll be awesome. Now, i got to ask, who's playing the arraignment judge, Janice Goldberg? Oh, I don't know, but I love her so much. I love her! Tell us her name. That's author and humorist Fran Lebowitz. You're yes. kidding! I am not kidding. What are we having today? Special on Huspa? Bell set at $500,000. Do you have that on you, Mr. Hagen, or do you need a few minutes? Mm. 
I want to talk about that scene a little later, but Fran Leibowitz has made 13 Law & Order appearances as this judge. Amazing. She was a huge fan of the show, and she visited the set, and someone said, you want to be a judge? And that's how she got got the role. Wow, it's that easy? I guess you have to be iconic in some way. I saw her in some documentary about Mm -hmm. New York and queer New York and maybe Studio 54, and she is mm-hmm. this person all of the time. She is the most, yeah. <laughs> the driest, just most sarcastic, most delightful person. Uh, so being a famous author and then getting on your favorite show, uh, that's called pulling a Bardugo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are so many ways pulling a Bardugo could have been used in a much more offensive way. So if that is my legacy, I will go with it. Yeah. So Lenny and Ed have an interesting discussion about women and their bling. Mm. Oh my God. You just don't get it, do you? What, spending that much on diamonds? No, I don't. You are so single. You know, jewelry isn't just something for a woman to look at. It's a safety net. Oh, here we go. Safety net? Yeah, something they can fall back on when the man in their life decides he wants another life. What drowns here is in a bottle of bourbon. Yeah, something like that. Lenny, I know a whole lot of women that will kick you in your jewels for a theory like that. After they got the rock. Would you want a $40,000 ring, and I'm going to ask the person most likely to have one, Lee? Mm. Um, you know, you uh, you do have a jeweler client confidentiality. You didn't have to <laughs> disclose that. But I will admit, uh, when you see a diamond of that size, something does take over, and you it does. Yeah. It, yes, it's true though. Yeah, just like I've got to be honest though. Like if I had a choice between that ring and then like, or walking up to Ed Green and slipping that Rolex off of his wrist and taking that, I think we both know which one I would choose. You'd be throwing I, yeah. yourself at Ed Green. <laughs> Forget the diamond. Ned Green does something for you. Mm-hmm. Sploosh. He's gorgeous. He is. <laughs> he is an extremely... I saw him in Rent in the original cast as a youth. Oh. Um, and he was gorgeous then, too. Um, I, I had, like, two... I had, like, New York questions about this episode, because mm-hmm. I know you guys know more about New York than I do. Um, I, like, is Lagaloo a real restaurant? No idea. Of course not. <laughs> Probably not. I'm really that is it even real cake. <laughs> we bake it all ourselves. I bet that'll put a couple pounds on you. We call it killer chocolate. Really? <laughs> it's made out of styrofoam and paint. <laughs> it is funny to see the, uh, the, the pre-gentrified Hell's Kitchen, though. That was fun. Oh, Everything, yeah. like every neighborhood that they refer to, like back in the '90s and early uh-huh. 2000s on the show, like everyone is like a fancy neighborhood now, and they're like, like, "Oh, Hell's Kitchen." If I'm we like, could oh. just clear this lot of all these skeletons <laughs> and car parts, we could put in a condo. That was one of my questions too, which is, are there empty lots like this in New York anymore? We could build some lofts, some <laughs> lofts, and then maybe one sliver will be a community garden. Kelly Ripa can move in. <laughs> I, I loved when they were talking about the, the rings. And then, like, Lenny was such a mean girl. He was like, you are so mm. single. I was like, I love mean girl Lenny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. We just talk about the fact that Serena Sutherland, with her genius legal mind, yeah. mm. comes to the conclusion after watching somebody in the interrogation room that, quote, He doesn't look like a murderer. He doesn't look like a murderer. <laughs> it's a- and therefore must not be. <laughs> <laughs> Is this your first day on the job, Serena? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It looks nice. <laughs> they want to get a warrant for Bradley, and they go to Van Buren, and she says, You want to indict a guy because of a dessert? Mm-hmm. And Lenny 
says, well, well, it is killer chocolate cake. Well, it is killer chocolate cake. <laughs> 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 what, what the hell did the judge say to get that warrant? He says, oh, eating the same cake a year later? Oh, there's a crime probably committed. Yes, and that's the only <laughs> restaurant in New York that has a dessert with that name, obviously. Do you feel like in the first draft it was death by chocolate? And then they were oh, like, "Oh, maybe uh, because I have eaten a lot of chocolate cake in this life, and I have never come across killer chocolate cake. It's so aggressive." That's well, thank true. God you might not be with us. You know how Bradley says it's called killer chocolate cake because if your wife finds out you're eating it, she'll kill you. Yeah. And then we cut to meeting the wife, and I 100 percent believe that's true because she was so awful. <laughs> I completely believe she might kill him over his choice of lunch dessert. This couldn't have waited. You know what they say: time is money. And I'm paying Sven more per hour than I pay my doctor. People wait months for an appointment with Sven, you know. But I loved her. I loved, like, I loved, I knew exactly what episode this was when you guys um, sent me the, the title, The Ring. I was like, oh, I hope it's the 9-11 one. But I loved that it hit every Law & Order beat. Like, the rich people yeah. were cartoon rich people. Like, the most, like, when she was talking about Sven, like, it takes months to get, I'm like, who is Sven? And mm. uh, I loved it. I loved how insane she was. I loved how I loved like the French cuff wearing smug rich guy face like that sort of hawkish rich guy face they all have. It was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And even though it's a new cast, you immediately know uh, McCoy is up to his same tricks because he wants to indict the richest person in New York. <laughs> and this time it's Branch who says, I can't fucking believe this. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Now let's look at the second half of this episode. Jack McCoy likes Bradley Hagen for Kelly's murder, but Arthur Branch isn't crazy about going after the son of his biggest campaign contributor. Don't you think... I think interleague play disrupted the moral fiber of this nation. I think Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided. And I think if you indict someone named Hagen on my watch, you damn well better convict him. So we turn the other cheek because of who he is? As a matter of fact, yes. Unless you come up with something more than a chunk of chocolate cake and an epistle from cyberspace. Time-released lesbian capsule, Serena (laughs) Sutherland, knows that Kelly's neighbor will have all the dirt. Seems she didn't want to be a homewrecker, and she was trying to break it off with Hagen, a guy known for stalking his ex-paramours. She says Kelly went off to dinner in Bradley's car and never came back. That's good enough for an arrest and for Hagen to make political threats at Branch. In order to keep the emails in evidence, McCoy has to parrot Branch's views on privacy, even though he doesn't believe it himself. The defense strategy is to sow doubt with jurors by arguing that Kelly did actually die in the World Trade Center. Donald identifies the handbag found at Ground Zero to be Kelly's as the lawyer takes out all of its contents in front of him. Then they want testimony from a newsstand guy at the Trade Center When he says Kelly always had the exact change for her newspaper, it hit Serena. There was no change or other items in the bag found on 9-11. That wasn't her going-to-work handbag. 
That was her going out to dinner to break up with your rich married boyfriend, but maybe keep this expensive ring for being a guma ring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in a meeting around the conference table of confessions, McCoy confronts Donald, saying he'd lied on the stand about Kelly's bag because he knew she never came home. They accuse him of killing her and using 9-11 as a pretext to hide the body. His denial is unconvincing to the prosecutors and to his new fiancée, who tosses him her own engagement ring he paid for with the 9-11 Reparations Award. All right, in order to make a point about Roe v. Wade, Branch literally takes the Constitution off the wall (laughs) and hands it to Serena. The whole Constitution. (laughs) The reason I disagree with Roe has nothing to do with going to church on Sunday. That's a bad decision because it's based on a legal fiction, better known as the right to privacy. Now, you go ahead and show me where the framers mention the word privacy. You can't because it's not in there. <laughs> well, come on, Arthur. There's more than one frameable page to the exactly. Constitution. It's exactly. I really documents. wish he had just been like, keep it. Like, just keep it out of a hole. And then just has like a whole pile of framed constitutions to put on the wall. I think we see in some other episode where he has the pocket version and he takes it out of his jacket mm. so he can oh, flip right to the... 27th Amendment. He's nothing if not a strict constructionist, that Arthur Branch. Isn't oh, he? Yeah. <laughs> when he first brought up Roe v. Wade, I was like, really? Like, that's... Uh, we're immediately going to, to Roe v. Wade. And then I kind of liked the way they looped back around and he was like, no, I'm not just a hedgehog swimming in spit. I got words to tell you of wisdom. Like, I actually was like, okay, that's actually, you know, some, some if not thoughtful writing, then uh, writing that pays off. Yeah. I mean, that actually is a constitutional argument about Roe v. Wade mm-hmm. that, that you, le- you learn in school when you take constitutional law classes about privacy not being outlined anywhere and that being assumed that privacy would be part of the Constitution, which is an interesting sort of pushback against a case that's actually about abortion. But that is the, a legal conversation. And it is one of the more interesting uh, legal conversations that happens on Law and Order that doesn't have me writing in my notes, legalese, debate, blah, 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 which is normally what I write for these scenes. Right. Well, look, they, they have gone through, this is the third DA officially in the series, and they are making him a lot different, of course. Yes. Conservative. He's the anti weast Right. And then he, <laughs> <laughs> but we see later Serena and uh, Jack, like, talk about this over a beer. I didn't believe a word I said in there. I can't believe the judge bought it. The law should be stable but never stand still. That was written over the entrance to my con law class. Today, I argued that the Constitution should not only stop dead in its tracks, it should revert back two centuries. Well, that's the difference between school and real life. This is the real world. Jack. (laughs) Jack. (laughs) You want to keep your job. We're not in the classroom anymore. We'd have to adapt, Jack. So when they arraign Bradley, Mm. he gets in front of Judge Goldberg. The best. How do you plead? Not guilty. Hagan, I voted against your father. I move that you recuse yourself, Your Honor. Don't pop a gasket, Counselor. I voted for both his brothers. Boy, it's refreshing when the judicial branch stands up to the executive branch for once. (laughs) (laughs) I just love her so much. I loved her, too. I loved her, too. And I love when she thought it was like fantasy that he was going to be given remand. She's like, please. No. No. $500,000. You have that on you, right, Bradley? (laughs) (laughs) I get out of my court. Was this where where Branch said something like, she'll fold like a blue-haired grandma? (laughs) And I was like, the idea, like, I'm sorry, but blue-haired grandmas play the slots. 
It's not like they're playing oh, high yeah. stakes poker. I was like, that is a terrible. That's right. Yeah. That's right. nickel slots. <laughs> grandma. What riverboat has he been on? Clearly, you don't know many blue haired grandmas. <laughs> they like the video poker. This That's is sort right. of where the writers are stretching their uh, their uh, elbows a little bit, like going, let's see how corn pone we can make right. this new character. Don't you feel like they just give Fred Thompson, like, let's just make a brainstorming document. You put down every corn pone thing you've ever heard anyone say. <laughs> And we'll just include it in the script. Lee, I think when they type out the script, they just put three question marks. <laughs> right, right where his response is supposed to be. Insert corn poem. A something with a something on a something. <laughs> so, a murder victim or 9-11 hero? People that knew her best seem to prefer that she was killed in the terrorist attack. There's something to be said for closure. That's a better theory than mine. Which is? They saw something heroic in being killed in the Trade Center. This 2003. Yeah. Mm. And that's a real feeling. I mean, maybe it, it still is today for folks, but the idea of between, I just, you know, just the idea that whether you didn't have to be a firefighter who ran into the building, if you were just an American who was there and and died because of the attack, you're, you're just as heroic. Being murdered in that way comes with cachet that being murdered another way does Dying not, that way. was yeah, essentially yeah. what they were saying, which is, tr- I mean, I, that's a very relatable feeling. I didn't think there was anything untrue about it, although I was very surprised they included that in the script because that's a little bit of a provocative thing to say. Very. And I, I liked it that they included it. It felt real. I thought it was um, really poignant, actually. There were a couple of moments that sort of, I was really caught up in sort of the camp of the episode, but then there's a moment where... Um, her fiance reads the tag of where the bag was located. Mm-hmm. Could you read what's printed on the yellow tag attached to the strap? Found 112 yards northeast of church in Vesey. Thank you, Mr. Hausman. Terrible thing happened to this country on September 11th. It affected some of us more than others. You have my heartfelt sympathy. And for some reason, that hit me hard. Like, it was, um, I don't know. Like, there were certain, that's the thing is that I think a lot of the times when Law and Order is really trying to get you, they don't get you because Mm. it's so ham-fisted. But I think that this was this kind of small, very human moment. And I think it was set up well with the idea that this idea of becoming heroic in death as opposed to necessarily in life. Now, Serena has this epiphany about the bag. Love it. The bag they found at the Trade Center was an evening bag. A bag a woman takes to work. It has a phone book, a date book, a pen. The rescue workers found the bag she took to dinner the night before, not the one she usually took to work in the morning. Which I saw in her sister's closet. The thing is, her fiancé testified under oath that the evening bag is the one that she takes to work every day. He's lying, Jack. And thus further proves that McCoy knows nothing about women. There's another episode, and I believe it's um, Van Buren who is able to sort of provide the key to a case because she realizes that a woman would never put her expensive bag on the floor of a bathroom stall. Oh, that was Eames. Was was Gordon and Eames, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. She hung her purse on the hook here. Uh, Leather coat would have just been over. Reach over and grab it. No, I think Miss Kitchen probably just put it on the floor. No, she hung it up. Right, a girl thing. So the purse is on the hook. 
and who knows even less about women but Gorin. <laughs> exactly but I do I do love it when like moments like that of just like there's the sort of lack of understanding of the practicalities of like life as a woman no you don't keep cash floating around in your tiny little handbag no you don't I like that I thought that was like and I love what Serena was like no no, no I'm sure and he was like Serena she's like I'm sure I like it too <laughs> I thought it was I, I, well I also was like she's wearing a very sharp outfit today so that's yes. why she's so sure she had full conviction it wasn't that kind of like modeled gray suit previously in the episode because then she wouldn't have been sure that's but right. i will also say i'm not convinced that any suit should allow you to shut down a meeting that way where she's like we're done <laughs> get out sorry boss <laughs> never want to see you again you've been of no help at all there's no room for extra tampons in that tiny bag <laughs> she couldn't have been bringing that one to work absolutely <laughs> no breath mints you know what else sort of stretched believability a little bit? What? That the judge wouldn't allow a photo of a severed hand into a murder trial right? evidence where assumingly they're going to yeah. assuming they're going to be showing the photo of I don't know the body. So yeah. why not show the photo of the hand? Oh my god. Approach. Let me have that. No way, your honor. This is only meant to outrage the jury. My client's defense is that the deceased died when the towers came down. This is evidence. Evidence to make the jury throw up. Rule of thumb. In my court, that's inadmissible. Too much. <laughs> Bones are fine. Flesh is not great. No, apparently not. But so if it had been a different kind of body, like the jurors just wouldn't have seen any of the evidence. Oh, they would have easy the chalk outline. <laughs> they would have shown them the chalk that drew the chalk outline. <laughs> so computer genius, Donald Houseman's password. They can't get into his computer. This guy's good. He designs software for a living. Well, he's got me stumped. I'm into the company data bank, but because of his firewall, I'm going to need a password to hit his personal file. Try son of a bitch. No. Try boo-boo. Like in Yogi? Just try it. It's her pet name for it. Oh, yeah, he's good. Two years after he murdered her... His password is his girlfriend's nickname for him, Boo Boo. Which they type in correctly on the first try. Right. No, no, no capitals. No zeros for O's. No dash. No special letters. <laughs> Nothing. Not even a number at the end, like the year he graduated from high school. Like, no. <laughs> not even Boo Boo 17 or whatever. Like, it was. I will say that when you know that he murdered her, which, by the way, I also think they set up surprisingly well. Like, I believed. Yes. Like, I think they they cl sort of cleared him as a suspect successfully so that it still mm -hmm. worked as a twist. But I, I found it really chilling to think of him still having her last voicemail on the computer. Gets weirder, yeah. Yeah. Like, that late at night, he's just like, teehee, I got away with it. Like, there's a... Mm. I feel like we find out in my head, because I remembered parts of this episode, he was found out much sooner and there was a trial for him. So I found like the denouement almost like abrupt after he was discovered. Yeah. I thought it was actually a really tightly constructed twist as well. This was yeah. one of the rare episodes I haven't seen in a really long time where I was like, this is all very credible. I mean, not credible in terms of like it, it could happen to you, but credible in terms of like the, the succession of events actually being... Like bringing you in, you mm -hmm. know, as a viewer, I felt like I thought one thing, then I thought another thing. The legal ar arguments made sense to me. They weren't crazy. We didn't have someone pulling a weird un uh, made up diagnosis out of an unwritten DSM. Uh, it was like all very much like grounded. And the twist was great. 
Yeah, the hand. I thought the handbag clue was really inspired. Actually, I agree. yeah. But I Absolutely. do have a question. I can't figure out how he committed the crime. Like, am I just being <laughs> no? Like, it didn't. Was it blow to the head? They, they never tell you. <laughs> but they, they don't. They don't have any like. Oh well, he was waiting for her outside of her apartment. They never yeah. finish that. Because she of the gets story. Yeah. home, and the premise then has to be that he. She gets home. He intercepts her before she goes to talk to her roommate. He then drives to like kills her drives her to a dump in hell's kitchen and then cuts her hand off knowing 9-11 will happen or 9-11 happens and then he goes back to the lot cuts her hand off and then returns Mm. to ground zero like what or he cuts the hand off and then has a body and a hand (laughs) and then like well yeah he's he's looking at the body and about 10 o'clock he has i have an idea no it's gotta be that the next day he goes back and cuts it it's gotta be that's very didn't set up the perimeter till five yeah again this didn't occur to me until i watched the episode twice to try to you know be a good guest and uh it did not occur to me until the second watching that this was totally impossible and nonsensical that he would be able to do this well they also didn't have the police in the room when they were revealing that they knew he was the killer which is problematic because now you have like the da doing the investigation and doing that initial interview that's a nice ring leo mr husman give it to you let me guess he gave it to you in mid-march how did you know? It might have something to do with the timing of the check Mr. Hausman received as reparations for the loss of his fiancée. Oh, my God. She cheated. She said she'd marry me, but she cheated. She tried to deny it, but no, I knew. I knew. The woman, his fiancée, his new fiancée was... Lee. Uh, oh, her yeah. name was Lee. Oh, God, <laughs> how could I have missed that? My moment to shine. Um... I, through the whole show, I was, like, not quite believing her. Like, she was so saintly, and her eyebrows were doing a lot of sort of sympathy gestures. And then <laughs> there's, like, when she cast the ring off, I was like, woo. Like, mm. it was like, get this thing off of me. And I thought the fact that they set her up as, you know, that they had met in this group and that her brother had died on 9-11 was, like, a very nice payoff. Although I would have loved for him yeah. to her to, like, slap them or you know, punch him in the gut right. or something. And and then they use a ring, and so it sort of brings it all back around. Yeah. But she seems surprised that he paid for this ring as soon as the reparations check came. Because yep. it was like, you got a reparations check in March, too. <laughs> How did it not occur to you where he got his money? It wasn't a secret. Fair point. I was just going to mention that his reaction <laughs> When she's like, you did what? And he's like, she cheated in this. (laughs) (laughs) So don't cheat on me. That's sort of like, it felt like every guy who's like, my ex was this and that. So don't you be this and that, you know, (laughs) really like, I feel like the last say, like five minutes of the episode descended into just casual misogyny. Yes. I never knew men could be so insecure. I once followed a girlfriend to a party just to be sure. In law school, I ate at the undergrad cafeteria to keep an eye on a certain someone. Until she spotted me, that is. And what'd you do then? I gave her a ring. Like when Arthur Branch was talking about stalking his future wife. But it was okay because they got married. I was like, y'all are creepers. Like you and Jack. (laughs) Like what? And Serena's just like, tee This is why I like women, guys. This is why. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. 
Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start, Start saving, saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the headlines. This episode is based on the story of Sneer and Philip. The New York-based physician vanished on September the 11th, and her husband believed she'd been killed rendering aid to those at the nearby World Trade Center. On the evening of September the 10th, Philip was seen buying dresses, shoes and lingerie at a department store before staying out all night. With police focused on the attacks, Philip's husband hired a private eye to trace her steps. Video from their Battery Park building showed a figure of a woman in the lobby three minutes before the first plane struck the North Tower. When police did investigate, they believed Philip was living a double life. The doctor had been fired for drunkenness and had been spending her nights in lesbian bars. She was charged with filing a false report of groping by an intern. She'd been arraigning on the morning of September the 10th and was seen arguing with her husband at the courthouse. Police thought it was just as likely that Philip used the attacks as cover to stage her disappearance and she was removed from the city's official list of victims. Wow, this is crazy. Philip's family sued and the judge agreed the most likely conclusion was that she perished at ground zero. Sneer and Philip was declared the 2,751st victim of the Twin Tower Collapse. That's bananas. They know that she did not return after the collapse of the towers because the apartment windows were open and the apartment was filled with soot Mm -hmm. and other debris and there were no footprints or anything else to indicate someone had returned and disturbed the area. Can't both things be true, that her personal life was out of control but was somebody who was a doctor at an extraordinary moment and ran toward the trouble? I don't know. I'm actually kind of thrown for a loop by this story. Like, I had never heard really? this before. Yeah, I I honestly did not. I was super curious to hear what the sort of rip from the headlines was for this. But, it, I mean, I think this speaks to the point we talked about earlier where they're saying, you know, we would rather think that they died as heroes Every person has a complicated history. So, yes, your your life can be out of control and probably in many ways is. Um, and so if you start to excavate every victim's background, it sort of subverts, subverts this idea of nobility that we try to project onto these victims. So, yeah, I agree that both things can be possible and probably were true for everybody. All of our lives are yeah. messy. Nobody wants to have that shit like pulled apart. Nobody wants their evening bag emptied on the stand, you know? 
Right, right. Yeah. It's funny because you can be a shitty person but also be well-trained professional at the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can know that, like, you know, the oath that you took to care for people in distress still applies to you, even if your career is in jeopardy. And you could also generally be an okay person who's done a bunch of shitty things. Like, there's a lot of, yeah. like, gray area in between. I think it's very unlikely that the timing of her husband murdering her would just, like... You know. Or her deciding, I'm going to live a new life. I'm yeah. running away. Yeah. Seem, I don't know why the police department spent so much time trying to prove that that's she wasn't there. That's the weird there. part of that. Mm. That's a very, like, that surprises me. Yeah. I mean, she did tell her mother on Monday that at some point during that week, she was going to visit Windows on the World, mm-hmm. which is the, was the, the restaurant up yep. top, because there was a baby shower, bridal shower, they're like later on in the month. It would take a particular kind of sociopathy to to make a con that quickly, you know, to yeah. to witness what I think it's easy to forget how shocking and um, like for an, an entire nation of people 9-11 was. And so the idea that somebody would in that moment be able to construct uh, an opportunity to, you know, either do murder or to go live a, a secret life somewhere does not seem plausible to me. It's one thing if in the wake of this, people's like, oh, I see an, an insurance scam to be wrought or I'm going to I'm going to take advantage of the system in this way or that way, or I'm going to get on a message board and pretend to be uh, part of this. That is very different from in the moment, literally in the moment of the crisis saying, you know, I'm going to I'm going to construct a plan. Yeah, there are over a thousand documented incidents of 9-11 fraud. Mm-hmm. So among some of them, over 100 police and firefighters were arrested in 2014 on fake 9-11 disability claims with Social Security. Carlton McNish got $100,000 from charity for a wife that did not exist. Oh. He even had a fake funeral. Oh, my God. Uh, Cyril Kendall invented a son and received $160,000 from charities like the Red Cross. Tanya Head mm-hmm. became president of the World Trade Center Survivors Network. And in 2007, it was revealed she was actually in Barcelona Ugh. during the attack. And she didn't do it for the money. She just did it for the attention. Oh she did God. it for the attention. She came from a wealthy family. Like, they had sort of fallen on hard times. But she came from this very prominent Spanish family. And um, she did not need money. She had a lucrative job. She just was a fabulous. Now, Shania Ann Philip was living this double life, staying out all night, getting drunk, one of her favorite lesbian bars was called Meow Mix. Nice. That's where she met Serena Sutherland. <laughs> hey, that is going to do it for us. We want to thank our special guest, Lee Bardugo. Lee, where can our listeners follow you online? You can find me at uh, L Bardugo, just the letter L, not L Bardugo. But you can find me at L Bardugo <laughs> at, uh, on Instagram is where I'm most comfortable. I'm occasionally still on Twitter these days. And Rebecca Lavoie, how can our listeners follow you? They can also find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Reb Lavoie. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn or tweet to us at Law & Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoie. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. 
All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for Criticism and Commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are the Stories was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.